But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and its leaves does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Psalms 1 verses 2 and 3. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Streams of Water Bible Study podcast. It's been a little bit since we've been able to record, uh, but glad to be back at it. Andy, you doing okay today? I'm doing well. We were on a little hiatus. I think I was maybe traveling one week, and then the next week, Tyler was traveling. We couldn't couldn't do the, the podcast, but we are back and looking forward to getting into 1 John chapter 5. We are uh, We won't finish up. Uh, first John today, but we are getting closer and closer and um, lots of good stuff to talk about and some interesting things, maybe some um, slightly confusing passages, but I think all that we're going to talk about uh, today will be uh, encouraging to us. So happy to happy to be doing it uh, once again. Yeah, I think uh, probably two more episodes should get us in First John. And then uh, I think the plan is for us to look at second and third John, and then we're going to have to figure out where we want to go from there. Um, (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Looking forward to the study uh, today. We're going to be looking at first John chapter five uh, verses one through 12. And uh, this has been a, this has been a busy week for uh, me and Andy had uh, final exams this week for the graduate school. Uh, But I I don't know about you, Andy, but I'm pretty glad that's behind me. I'm so glad. So relieved. Um, I don't have to, got any more zoom classes or uh, take any more tests or writing more papers. So that is, as a big relief. I can focus fully on first John five this morning, you know, with nothing over my head. So I, I keep on having this feeling uh, like it at, in, in the evenings over the last couple of days that I have something I need to work on or something I need to write or you know I, some kind of test to take. That's a hard feeling to shake. I, whenever. I, I, I feel the exact same way. I call it the phantom guilt. You know, like, yes, you're, you're, you, yes. like you feel like you're supposed to be doing something, but like, you know, you're not. It's the phantom guilt. But, That's exactly it. Yeah. But hey, we, you know, maybe over the last few weeks, if, if we would have felt some phantom guilt about the podcast, maybe we would have been able to jump <laughs> on. But. Yeah, I know. Yeah. We were really <laughs> dedicated. But, yeah. yeah. Um, well, do we, do we want to go ahead and just dive in? There's going to be a lot of a lot of repeated themes, Andy. Like you said, there's a, a passage within 1 John 5, 1 through 12 that's a little bit confusing, but I, I, I think we'll be able to suggest some things that might be helpful. Um, you want to go ahead and read it? Let's do it. All right. Well, uh, I can take the first six if you'll take the last. All right. Let's do it. 1 John 5, verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. 
For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three are in agreement. If we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater, because God's testimony that he has given about his Son, the one who believes in the Son of God, has this testimony within himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Very good. Awesome. So going back to 1 John 5 and verse 1, uh, we find this idea of accepting Jesus as the Christ. We've talked about that throughout the book of 1 John. It seems like these false teachers were suggesting that Jesus did not come to earth in the flesh. And so uh, John is certainly concerned with the identity of Jesus. Here we're to place our faith in the fact, we're to believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that's one of that's one of the signs that someone has been born of God. Of course, if, if you don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, I think it's going to be impossible to be born you, Andy. Yeah, absolutely, because Jesus is the true Son of God. He is the Christ. You, you can't be one of God's children. You can't be born of him unless you put your trust, put your faith um, in, in in Jesus as the Son of God, Jesus as the Christ. And it, it reminds me of what the Apostle John uh, records in John chapter 3 in the Gospel of John, uh, where Jesus says, uh, you've got to be born of water, born of the uh, of the Spirit. And, and I think uh, in relation to all of that, there's is tied up with this, this idea of faith in Jesus as the son of God, the one who uh, was sent into the world by the father because the father loved uh, the world. So if you don't, if you don't have that as the rock, as the foundation, um, you're dead. That's what scripture teaches that you are spiritually uh, dead to be born of God, to be one of God's children. This language that John has used throughout this letter, if you want to be a, a child of God, uh, it starts with believing that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus says in John chapter 8 and verse 24, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And so I think that's exactly what you're saying, Andy. And and so, uh, and, and I, I think it's interesting how in 1 John, these two ideas have oftentimes been paired together, believing in Jesus, but then also loving not only the Father, but as 1 John 5 and verse 1 says, loving those who have been born of him. And so if, if I'm going to claim to love God, the next step from that, something that goes hand in hand with that is loving those who have been saved by his grace, loving my brothers and sisters in Christ. If, if I've been born of God, then I have the responsibility to love those who have been born of God. I, I, we talked about a few weeks ago how John says you can't love God whom you haven't seen if you don't love your brothers who you see all the time. And I think this kind of shows up here that everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. I believe in Jesus. I place my faith in Jesus as the Son of God. I love the Father. And when I love the Father, I'm going to love my Christian community. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. This is, like you said, this is a theme that we've seen uh, throughout the, this letter. John is uh, relentless in his insistence that that the idea of loving God, being born of God is inseparable with the idea of us loving 
one another. I mean, you can't, you cannot divorce those two things um, in God's eyes and in the apostle John's eyes, as well as he's, he's telling us this uh, we've talked about before. I think how, I think it's a pretty prevalent idea in our culture, maybe in our independent individualistic Western mindset that, um, okay, faith, uh, religion, love for God. That's, that's a personal thing. That's only a vertical me and God thing. Um, but all throughout the new Testament and really all throughout the Bible, um, there's no, there's no question that love, love for God, uh, flows out into love for the one that God made, the one that God also loves, which is, uh, the, the idea here, the, the father also, uh, and everyone who loves the father also loves the one born of him. Um, so how can you be one of God's children if you don't also love uh, God's children as well? It's it just there's a disconnect uh, there. And we we would do well to pay attention to that. Uh, what does it look like to be a new person in Jesus? It means you love in a different way. You love the father, but you also uh, love uh, your neighbor and you love your brothers and sisters in Christ uh, in a special way. Uh, way and it, and it ties us back to what Jesus said. What, what are the great commandments? Love God, uh, love your neighbor, and and I think we see that um, kind of thematic idea come up here as well, especially as you look at verse three. For this is lo- what love for God is: to keep His commands, and His commands are not a burden. And what's what's the greatest command? Love God, love your neighbor. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I like how I, in verse two, it, it starts, or rather at the end of verse one, it starts out with, you know, if you love the father, then you're going to love those who have been born of him. And then he kind of flip flops that and says, by this, we know we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. So, uh, you know, if, if you love God, then you're going to love your brothers and sisters. And if you love your brothers and sisters, then you are going to love God. And when you love God, you're going to obey what what he said. And so I like how he kind of puts that in reverse order. It it goes both ways. I think he's shown us that what you said, Andy, that these two things are going hand in hand, that if you're going to love the father, you also have to love those who have been born of him, those who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, and then, Okay, let's take a, a step deeper into this idea of loving God. What does it mean to love God? How do I express my love for God? Here on earth, we express our love for people in a lot of different ways. Uh, like, you know, on different holidays, like Valentine's Day or something like that. People might think of out-of-the-box ways to uh, show the love that they have for their significant other. How do we show our love for God? And I think the answer that John gives us is that we have to obey him. We have to keep his commandments. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think uh, I think we need to uh, clarify or just uh, as we think about this, that doesn't mean this is purely out of a sense of, of duty. You're just uh, going by rote ritual. You're just... Uh, uh, perform it's performative obedience. You're just keeping a list of commands. That's not what he's talking about here. This time out, the love that you have for God will flow out into your obedience. And I think uh, it's a joyful obedience. Not that it's always easy, not that, um, you know, it's always 
uh, uh, simple to, to fulfill. But what he says in, in verse three, his commands are not burdensome. His commands are not a burden. This is something we want to do. I like the way that you put it, uh, Tyler. This is an expression of, of our love for God and our keeping his commands. You can't really say you love God if you never do what he says, because if you loved him, you would trust him. If you knew him, uh, you would know that he wants what's best for you. And so it, again, it's, it's, it doesn't make any sense if you say, well, I have this love for God, but all the things that, that um, he says for me to do in my life, all the things he wants for me, all the things that he's promised me, I, I'm not, I'm kind of ignore that. Well, you're not really loving God at that point. You're loving some idea of God that we've made uh, ourselves rather than submitting ourselves to the true God and, and, and obedience to his commandments. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I like how building off of that in verse three, John talks about how God's commands are not burdensome. I think that more oftentimes uh, in maybe especially in our culture, we view God's commands as burdensome. They stop us from doing things that we want to do. They, they stop us from, uh, I, I think about how people in our culture, I want to be who I want to be. I want to express myself however I feel I want to express myself. And uh, God's commands would just be a restriction on that. It would be a restriction on uh, what I want to do. It would be a restriction on my sexual identity. It would be a restriction on fill in the blank. And John wants you to know that Keeping God's commands are really not burdensome. God gives us his commands for our own good. God gives us commands uh, so that we can be benefited, so that we can be spiritually successful. And so I think recognizing that, that God's commands are not burdensome, I think that's a really, really significant uh, idea to grasp, that they're actually for our good, not for uh, our, you know, our hurt or to rob us of something. God, God knows how to give abundant life. John chapter 10 and verse 10, that's what Jesus gives us. And we can only find that in obeying his commandments. And that, that confidence that those commandments aren't burdensome comes in a trust that we have that God truly loves us and God truly wants what's best for us. And that I think if we're just thinking about what we've talked about in first John previously the foundation of that love that we know that God has for us is the giving of his son uh, in dying for us as this atoning sacrifice for us. If God, as, as Romans puts it, if God did not spare his own son, is, is he going to hold back any good thing from us? And uh, if we look at Jesus and see that great gift that he has for us, we know for a fact that he loves us and that anything that he's, commanding us to do anything that he's calling us to do that that's that's for our good just just like you're talking about it's not it's not a burden on us and i think about what jesus said in matthew chapter 11 uh when he's inviting people to come all you who are weary and heavy laden i will give you rest for i am gentle and lowly of heart um, um my yoke is easy my burden is light um, that's kind of difficult for us to square up maybe with uh, some of the things that, like you said, from a worldly perspective, seem really difficult. Even the things that Jesus said about taking up a cross. Well, that doesn't seem like a, a light burden. Um, but when you see the joy set before us, when you see 
uh, God's love for us, when you see what God wants for us, the abundant life that he offers us, it becomes a joy. Uh, it becomes less burdensome. And, and kind of going back to something uh, we were talking about earlier about how the there's this cycle of how uh, love of God, the love of God interacts with our love of our brothers and sisters. And I think the more that we love are drawn in to God's love, the, the easier it is in some ways to love our brothers and sisters. And the more we love our brothers and sisters truly, the more we're going to see the love of God and, and be drawn into God's love. And so um, as we walk in obedience, I think we're growing in our love. We're growing uh, in our desire to serve God. And the Christian life is never easy. Obedience is never easy. But I think there is a sense in which, which um, as we grow, uh, we we see this reality that's talked about here in verse three that his commands are not a burden, and perhaps even thinking about how God's commands. You know, we oftentimes think about that as being on an individual level, but in a context that emphasizes so much about loving one another. If you love God, then you have to love one another. If if you love one another, then you're going to obey God. In that context, maybe we could say and, and we could talk about the importance of carrying out God's commands in community as Christian yeah. brothers and sisters. And, and, you know, like I think you mentioned this just a little bit ago, that Christianity wasn't designed something to be uh, carried out in isolation. We oftentimes think that way because we live in an individualistic culture where it's just about me and God. And that's really the only thing that I have to consider well, the, the New Testament really doesn't present that message, as we see here in First John chapter 5, uh, that this is also about carrying out God's commands and living out his word together. And I think it's a whole lot easier to obey God's commands if we're connected to a Christian family than if we're not. I think about a meme that floats around on the Internet. Uh, I'm, uh, it pops up on my Facebook every once in a while. It's of uh, a lion chasing an antelope. And there's a group of antelopes over on the side, and the lion's not chasing them, but instead is chasing the antelope that was by himself. And the point is, that's what we're like when we're disconnected from the church family. That's what we're like whenever we're disconnected from Christian community. It's going to be a whole lot easier for Satan to destroy us like he wants to do in 1 John chapter 5. It's going to be a whole lot easier for him to overcome us, and it's going to be a whole lot harder for us to actually be who God wants us to be if we're practicing Christianity in isolation. I think that's exactly right. I think that's such an important practical point for us to realize and, and embrace. And it reminds me of what you're saying there. It reminds me of the Galatians 6 principle of bearing each other's uh, burdens. We, we help each other in this. It, it becomes a heavy, a heavy, heavy load uh, to try to be obedient to God uh, just by yourself to try to avoid uh, sin and and um, uh, and do what God wants just by yourself. God created us in a certain way. He designed us to be not in, independent but interdependent. I mean, we we are as, as attached to each other, responsible for each other as uh, an eye is to an, a hand, as a foot is to a leg, um, as a lung is to a heart that's the imagery that that paul uses in first corinthians 12 we we belong to each other we are members of one another and and we we live out obedience together and 
thinking about some of the other imagery that we've talked about in first John, um, what, what Satan wants for us to your point, Tyler, I think what Satan wants for us is he wants us to live in darkness in isolation. Um, he wants us to live alone, but when we're walking in the light with God, we're in fellowship with other Christians who are walking in the light and we can bring our sins into the light. Often, um, we we want to keep our sins in darkness because we don't want anyone to know about it. But if we're walking together in this community of love that you're talking about, we're going to bring our sins out into the light, into confession and say, I'm gonna, I want to walk in obedience. And I want you as my brother or sister to help me in that. I want I want us to help one another in that, to keep each other accountable, to keep each other encouraged. So I think that's such an important uh, part. And I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that up. Sure. Yeah. All of those one another passages become uh, really important uh, whenever you think about that idea of like bear one another's burdens. Uh, like you said, the Galatians uh, six principle, uh, you can read through um, Ephesians uh, chapter four and you can read a lot about uh, what we're supposed to do for be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, um, uh, encouraging one another. Hebrews three thirteen. 25. And so when, whenever we recognize this, all of those one another passages really become significant. Um, and then I think, you know, to add another layer to this, you know, ultimately, what is the result of this kind of life? A life that says, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, a life that loves the Father, a life that obeys the Father, a life that is connected to Christian community and genuinely loves brothers and sisters in Christ, what is the, the end result of that going to be? Well, I think that's verse four and verse five, where he says, everyone who is born of God overcomes the world, that we find victory in this kind of lifestyle. When we're loving one another, we're loving God, we're placing our faith in Jesus as the son of God, then we're going to uh, be victorious. He says, this is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith. We oftentimes sing the hymn, faith is the victory. Uh, here's where that comes from, uh, that we overcome the world that John describes in chapter two as uh, not being of the father, as uh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the world that's passing away. We overcome the sinfulness and the brokenness and the difficulty associated with the world whenever we live this kind of life. Uh, so setting our eyes on that, looking towards that, that's what hope is all about that I'm, I'm looking forward and I'm desiring and I'm expecting this victory uh, that we're going to receive. And this victory, according to the text, that, that we have already received. It talks about, it doesn't say that we will overcome the world. It says we are overcoming the world. It's talking about that in the present tense. So uh, this is something we can experience now and, and look forward to ultimately uh, in its fullness. Yeah, in a in a letter about assurance and a letter about confidence in eternal life, these verses here are so encouraging. I mean, they're so uplifting and upbuilding to us um, because, I mean, going back to just this idea of burdens, uh, we feel sometimes burdened in this world to the point of feeling crushed. I mean, you just you just look at what's going on in the world and. We, we, we can so easily feel overcome by the world, overcome by the powers of darkness, overcome by grief, overcome by, by evil. But John is, is reminding us 
as you said, we, we already have the victory, not because we are we are so strong, uh, not because we we did something so great to win that victory, but because of our faith in the one who has already conquered the, the one who by his work on the cross assured us, secured us of that of that victory. Faith, trust in God is the victory that overcomes uh, of the world. Um, that's that is just a beautiful, beautiful thought. Um, it doesn't feel like that. We don't we don't feel that reality sometimes, but we trust in that that, that Jesus won that uh, for us um, in a world that is it's so easily to be so easy to be discouraged. Um, to be reminded of that is such an important thing. I think the world tries to conquer in so many other ways. We try to overcome by our our merit, by our effort, by uh, our might, our power. Um, you know, nations try to conquer the world by by military victory and prowess and strategy and uh, geopolit- geopolitical maneuvering. But how how does Jesus? How did Jesus overcome the world? Is through self-giving love, through through tr- his trust in God, through obedience to God. And if we had put our faith in in that that cross, and and more specifically the man on the cross, we are assured of that that same victory as well. That's exactly right. You're making such a good point when you were rudely interrupted uh, by my dog Neyland. Neyland was uh, saying, "Amen." I, I, I have to I have to tell what happened. It's kind of funny. Um, my stomach growled. I hadn't eaten breakfast yet, and my stomach started growling. And he heard that and apparently thought that like somebody was breaking into the house, and so <laughs> he had to run over to the door and 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 you know bark at the intruders, the invisible intruders, and and get them away. And so uh, I'll 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 try to not make my stomach growl anymore. Your stomach I mean, but, was so was was so loud. He thought it was a, another person. Yeah, yeah, he thought it was something outside. Man, you must be really hungry. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I I didn't have my usual Belveda. I, I I skipped that this morning. <laughs> but uh, see, when when Leslie first introduced me to the Belveda breakfast bars, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I thought she was saying Velveeta, like the cheese, and I was like, "You <laughs> want cheese for breakfast? Cheese for breakfast?" And, uh, no, no, this is this is different. These are good, but I I think the point that you're making is is <laughs> is, is is well made. After that aside, um, that I mean, this is this is victory that we're able to uh, live in, and you know we we place our faith in Jesus, we obey God, we love God, and we experience victory. I mean, that sounds really simple. I think it's perhaps a little bit harder to work out in our lives and maybe a, a little bit harder to trust, especially as we, as, as we view the, the brokenness of the world around us. But uh, this is the promises of God's word. This is how John wants to encourage his original readers who were really struggling with false teaching. And uh, he, he wants them to know that you're already victorious just by what your relationship with God uh, brings to you, that you're loving him, you're believing in him, you're obeying him, and that's what leads you to victory. Um, so some some uh, powerful ideas there in those first five verses. Um, Andy, do we want to move on to the passage that's a, maybe a, a, a little bit controversial, maybe a little bit harder to interpret, or you have something you want to mention looking back? No, I, th- I, think, I think we're ready to, 
to tackle, uh, wrestle with uh, versus six through eight here and, and, and beyond. There we go. That sounds good. Uh, so when we look at verses six through eight, uh, John mentions these three different ideas. Uh, he, he talks about the water. He talks about the blood. And he talks about the spirit all testifying to the truth in context, I think, of who Jesus is that Jesus is the Son of God. The The way that I picture it, and Andy, you might picture this differently, but the way that I picture it is like we're in a courtroom, and the court case that we're trying to decide is, who is Jesus? Is Jesus the Son of God? Well, let's call some witnesses up to the stand. And uh, these are the three witnesses that John calls up to the stand to testify to the truth that this is who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Son of God, and this is the testimony that proves that to us. These are the witnesses that are uh, bearing testimony to the fact uh, of that Jesus is the Christ. Um, so uh, just looking at this kind of uh, from maybe a, a 4,000 foot view, uh, Andy, how do you see this? Uh, uh, would you see that differently or, or uh, what would you suggest? No, I think that's a, that's a good image to help us uh, think about this. And you just back up to what we just talked about, about this idea of faith uh, being the victory that that conquers the world that overcomes the world that's that is that's the the foundation that we ought to have and what i think john is doing here is he's moving into verse 6 is he's saying that that faith that you have is it doesn't have to be a blind faith this is not a this is not a leap in the dark this is not something that is uh, rooted on um uh, baseless evidence there, there's some there's some reasons you have uh, for confidence. There's some there's some witnesses at the witness stand that that point to Jesus as being the son of God so that you can have that solid faith uh, that, that brings victory, that brings overcoming, that brings conquering. So he's saying if, if you ever if you ever waver, um, if, if anyone's ever trying to cause you to doubt, uh, look to these things. And that that will embolden and strengthen your faith because these things are witnessing. They're testifying to the fact that, yes, Jesus is indeed the son of God. So let's talk about those three things and uh, let's talk a little bit about what they mean. He mentions the water. He mentions the blood and he mentions the spirit. And uh, so, Andy, just looking at those three things, uh, what do you think John means uh, by that? I know there's different ideas that have been suggested about what the water spirit and blood refer to. Uh, but what would you say about what those three things uh, symbolize? Yeah, there's some, there's some different uh, suggestions about what this means. And I think uh, a lot of them are plausible. What, how I understand this um, is that the water is referring to the baptism of Jesus. Um, and remember, you know, when, when Jesus is baptized uh, and, to begin his earthly ministry, uh, the spirit descends in the form of a, a dove and, and God testifies and says, this is this is my beloved son and whom whom I am well uh, pleased. So that's a that moment, the beginning of his ministry is that's a that's a testimony to the, the fact that Jesus is the son of God. And then you, you were talking about we, we talk about the start of his ministry, earthly ministry, um, that moment of his baptism. I think the blood refers to the end of his earthly ministry on the cross, the blood that he shed for us there as that propitiation that we talked about, that atoning 
sacrifice. Um, that is uh, another moment that, that shows us Jesus is indeed the son of God. You remember the centurion uh, that was that was standing there and, and comes to that recognition set to say, as he's looking at Jesus on the cross, surely this is the son of God. Um, so there's a there's a testimony there in the cross that Jesus is who he said he is. This is the fulfillment of all the things that Jesus said about himself. This is the fulfillment that all the law and the prophets were pointing to about Jesus is confirmed in the blood that was shed there on the cross. And then you think about the spirit, the spirit throughout Jesus's earthly ministry and still to, to this day is testifying uh, that Jesus is indeed uh, the son of God. The spirit was powerfully at work in Jesus's ministry, uh, showing that Jesus is the son of God through uh, through his empowering of Jesus' ministry, through miracles, through uh, the word of God. Um, and so these are three things that we can be confident to say, Jesus is indeed uh, the son uh, of God. Um, do you have any other thoughts or alternative uh, interpretations or anything to add to that understanding of, of what, what these three witnesses might be? No, I think that's exactly right. And I think in a way, uh, John kind of summarizes the ministry of Jesus in this. You have the baptism at the beginning. You have the death at the end of his earthly ministry. Uh, and then you have the spirit empowering his ministry throughout that. So you have the beginning of his ministry. You have the, the end of his earthly ministry. And you have the, the spirit empowering the ministry for, we believe, maybe three or, or three and a half years in the midst of that. So. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's exactly right. And uh, John says in verse eight that these three things agree on the fact that uh, Jesus is the son of God. This is the testimony that God himself has borne concerning his son. You know, and uh, John makes the point, he, he argues from lesser to greater in verse nine, that if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. You walk into a courtroom and uh, you base truth on what a person says. Okay, we walk into this courtroom where we're asking, who is Jesus? And God brings these three witnesses up to the stand. Well, if, if you're willing to listen to the testimony of a person, you better be willing to listen to the testimony of God that he's provided these three things concerning his son so that we can place our faith in him. And that's where he goes in verse 10. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in him self that that this is something that defines our lives this is something that we invite into our lives these this testimony these witnesses that are up on the stand this becomes who we are when we place our faith in jesus and uh, it, it convicts us that jesus is the son of god that he is the christ and it's 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 interesting that you know as we think about our own lives uh in christ uh what are the the I guess uh, for lack of a better term, what are the the uh, rituals, the uh, commandments that uh, God gives us to uh, remind us who we are, this identity that we have, uh, some uh, testimonies to us that continue on? Well, our baptism that uh, for the forgiveness of our sins, we are uh, we are identified with Christ. We take on. Um, his life. We, we follow after him as he was baptized. Each week we partake of his blood in, in communion to remind us Jesus really died for us. Jesus really is the son of God. And when we're baptized, 
we have the spirit at work within us. Um, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, as was promised in Acts 2, verse 38, when you're baptized for the remission of your sins. And so um, there's there's the still, uh, you know, and maybe maybe I'm um, uh, overdrawing the connection there, but I just thought popped into my mind that these these witnesses the, that testified to Jesus in his earthly ministry, um, we have we have reminders for us that point us back to that that confidence that we can have in who Jesus is and our identification with Jesus um, that we have within ourselves, but we're reminded of through these symbols as well. Uh, no, I, I don't think that's overdrawn at all. I think that's a really good connection uh, that these aren't these aren't dead symbols, uh, but continue to be continue to be active in the lives of Christians today. Um, so, and, and, you know, perhaps maybe that's what John is referring to when he says, whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself, that maybe this, that's uh, certainly, certainly a part of it. Um, and you know, it, it all goes back to, to faith in Jesus. He says, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he hasn't believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his son. And so if you want to, if you want to reject Jesus, if you want to, uh, reject God, then you have to reject this testimony of the water, the the blood, and the spirit. And uh, John's going to continue in verse eleven to talk about uh, the the testimony of something else, something else that God has given to us as perhaps as a result of the water, the spirit, and the blood. Um, but Andy, any other thoughts down to to, to verse ten? I think I think uh, that you know this can be a maybe confusing section of scripture if if we were just reading through it, we might think, wow, um, what in the world is John talking about here? But I think uh, whenever we uh, look at it in context of what John's thought might have been, it becomes a little bit easier. Yeah, I think it becomes a little bit easier, and I think it becomes very encouraging to us, not just perplexing, yeah. but we recognize, okay, this this is, this is John's writing this for a reason. He's, he's writing to give us this confidence, to give us this assurance. One, one other thought, uh, that I just wanted to mention was, you know, this emphasis on, I think, the, the crucifixion of Jesus, the earthly ministry of Jesus that points to Jesus as the Son of God. I think this is a thread that links back to what John opened with in the letter about the what what his testimony about what he has seen, what he has touched, what he has heard with his with with he says with our hands concerning the word uh, of life that Jesus really came uh, in the flesh, uh, that Jesus was a, a real, he's truly human. Um, he's, he's the divine son of God, but he is also a human. I think, um, I think, John, uh, Neyland's, Neyland's agreeing with me again. Uh, I think John maybe has this same idea in mind to say, um, he wasn't, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus wasn't just a spirit. He wasn't just an apparition. He was a real in flesh human being that really was baptized, that really did die, that really had blood and really shed blood. And if you miss that, you miss God's testimony to us that Jesus is the son of God. I'll tell you what, this dog is just disrespectful. I don't know. It's just, <laughs> every time you're talking, he just, he just gets all riled up. Yeah. He never does that when you're talking. <laughs> um, <laughs> One other thing to mention here, and, and this would be for our, our, our King James readers, 
is that um, there's a verse that's um, in the King James Version that is not in the ESV that Andy and I are reading out of. And it's about, you know, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit um, being being one. And, um, you know, that just to, we won't go into depth about that because I, I, I speak for myself here. Uh, not my area of forte very much. Um, I mean, I can, I think I can, uh, understand it, but I don't want to go into too much depth, but it's, um, it's a textual variant where it seems that, uh, some of the, the later, um, manuscripts contain that, but the earliest and best manuscripts that we have of first John don't contain that verse. And so it seems like, uh, that perhaps that idea of the father, the word and the spirit, while it's a true idea, and I think we can see the Trinity or the Godhead in, in other passages of scripture, I think um, it's um, it's uh, not to be taught here uh, because it's not uh, perhaps original to the text, perhaps an insertion where the writer saw three things that are agree. Well, let's talk about three other things that agree. And uh, that's the father, the word and the spirit. So I, I thought I'd just mention that if yeah. anybody reads out of the KJV or their preacher preaches out of the KJV, uh, that might be one verse that comes up. It just doesn't seem to have the manuscript support to be original. Yeah, I think that's a good good point just to kind of avoid any confusion, uh, any confusion there. And like you, I, I am uh, not a, uh, a scholar in, in that sense of, of textual criticism, but um, I think you explained it uh, pretty well. And I think that I think just making mention of that is important because we might sometimes uh, be curious about that, or that might cause us to doubt and wonder, um, well, is, you know, are some of these newer translations taking things out of the Bible? Are they trying to change things up? And, and, and really that's not the case at all. It's, it, this is out of a desire to be faithful to, to the original text as much as possible and, and take in all the evidence, um, to say, okay, what, what, um, is God really trying to say? Uh, to us and so from all the evidence that we have like you said it seems like that that particular verse that's omitted in the ESV and most modern translations is is not original and that's not to say that the KJV is a a bad translation they were it was just working with the evidence that that they have and and the um the the manuscripts that they're that they had and so uh, like you said I don't think it whether you put it in or you don't um has any um, doctrinal ramifications uh, necessarily, um, but um, just an important thing to note. Sure. Um, well, the last couple of uh, verses here in 11 and 12 uh, point us towards eternity, that this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so I Again, we, we said a little bit earlier in the first five verses, we talked about loving God. We talked about believing in Jesus. We talked about loving one another. That leads us to having victory. Uh, here, the same idea. What about testimony that demonstrates the proof to us of, of who Jesus is? What does that lead us to? What does that produce within us? And he says, this is, this is what the testimony is. This is what the testimony leads to that God gave us eternal life and that that life is found in Jesus. So if I have Jesus, I have life. If I don't have Jesus, I don't have life, which, you know, uh, John is a, I think John's a common sense thinker. 
Um, and he, he kind of lays things out, to, you know, in a, in a way that can really be understood. And I think that's evident here that if the life is found in Jesus, if I'm connected to Jesus, then I have it. If I'm not connected to Jesus, then I don't. But I think it's yeah. interesting that in, in both both passages that we've looked at today, it leads us to eternal life. It leads us to um, the eternity that we're going to get to spend in the presence of God. Something that John talks about here as God's already gave it to us. It, it, it's uh, something that we haven't received yet, uh, but as we live in the, the already but not yet. That's right. We we have it. We have it now, um, but we also are not experiencing the the fullness of it uh, yet. And then, like you said, I like how you put it. You know, John, John is common sense. He's he's speaking plainly, and he's speaking in, in plain terms a truth that is um, controversial, really. Um, in in some circles, to say that um, there's no eternal life outside of Jesus. Uh, Jesus said himself, uh, as John records in his gospel, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. There's, there's no life outside of Jesus. There's no way outside of Jesus. There's no truth outside of Jesus. So if you don't have the Son, um, we don't have hope. Um, but if we have the Son, and we belong to the Son, and we are sons and daughters um, because of Jesus, what he's done for us, uh, then there's, there's all hope. There's every hope um, of eternal life, and we're experiencing that life now, that abundant life that you talked about earlier, uh, Tyler. Um, and that that is the greatest gift. That's the greatest assurance that we can have, that we have Jesus himself, and in him is life. Yeah, two, two wonderful passages here in 1 John chapter 5, and um, we draw nearer and, and nearer to the, the end of the book. Um, Andy, I, I, I cannot remember. Is it your turn or is it my turn to offer the challenge? I was, talk just, about this I was just thinking, but I, since it's been a couple of weeks, I don't really remember, but I'm kind of thinking I offered the challenge last time. You offered it last time. Okay. I think well, so. Well, um, here's, here's something that I've been thinking about as, as we've been studying really, as I've mentioned a few different times and Andy, you've mentioned it too, that what this text really boils down to so let's let's say i i want to invite this text into my life you know what's the message what does this what does this boil down to well i I think it's three things number one place your faith in jesus accept the testimony of the blood the water and the spirit number two love god and when we love god that's going to be expressed in our obedience to god number three Love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Love those who have been born of God. And if we if we don't love our brothers and sisters, then we can't we can't actually love God. Those two things go hand in hand with one another. And so uh, perhaps we could spend some time thinking about that this week, thinking about those three things, evaluating ourselves, maybe spend some time in prayer on these three things. Where are you in your faith in Jesus? And we're, we're not just asking a mental ascent. Well, sure. I, I believe that Jesus lived and died, buried, rose on the third day. I believe he's in heaven now, but really just doesn't have a bearing on my life. Uh, I believe it in my mind, but it, it doesn't make a difference in my heart. Well, now that's, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about, do you really believe in Jesus? Do you look at this testimony and say, I want to place my faith in you. I want to place my trust in you. Do you love God? 
a good way to determine that. Are, are you obeying God on a daily basis? Are you doing what he wants you to do? Are you the person who he wants you to be? And then are you loving your brothers and sisters? Are you really connected to Christian community? Do you treat church and, you know, I, I know we shouldn't use church that way. Do you, do you treat the assembly like it's a, like it's a social club? Uh, like it's a popularity contest? Is, is it a place that you go to a few times a week, but it's just a part of your schedule? It's just on your to-do list and you have to check it off? Uh, it's, it's just a responsibility. I walk in and I walk out and I don't really interact with anybody. Or are we deeply connected to, or are, are we deeply loving those who are a part of God's family? Are we allowing them to support us? And are we seeking out ways that we can support them. And so just maybe spend some time. I think this text boils down to those three ideas. And I think that we would do well to spend some time reflecting on them. Where's my faith in Jesus? Where's my love for God, which is expressed in obedience to God? And where is my love for my brothers and sisters? Um, Andy, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's a great challenge. I mean, uh, I mean, that's really sums up. The, the things that we should be reflecting and evaluating um, in the Christian life. I mean, that's, that's really what it's all about. Our, our faith in Jesus, our trust that leads to obedience um, and, and the way that that plays out in Christian community and how we're treating one another. I mean, those are um, some of the most important things that we could pray about and consider and, and see where we are. And I like what you said about, you know, faith is not just a mental ascent. I mean, true faith, is believing God, trusting God. And, and if you really believe what God says and trust what God says, you will do what he says. I will do what he says. And so I think we, we all have uh, room to grow there, of course. And I think um, it would definitely be helpful for, for everyone to, to take, take up that challenge. Well, that's the challenge, and uh, we're sticking to it. Andy, thankful to, to be on um, another episode here and, and looking forward to, Lord willing, next week, whenever we can wrap up the book of First John. Appreciate your thoughts. Yeah, yeah, appreciate you and appreciate uh, Neilan's thoughts as well. Oh, yeah, he, he always has to add his two cents worth. I yeah. mean, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a little diva. Um, <laughs> but to our listeners, we thank you uh, for being with us and uh, apologize for my dog's interruptions. But uh, we appreciate you being with us in this study and uh, looking forward to finishing out at least the book of First John uh, next week. Uh, Andy, hope you have a, a good week of, of no classes and no finals and no papers. Maybe we can shake that phantom guilt. That's right. Enjoyed it, Tyler. Have a good one. See you, man. Thank you for listening to the Streams of Water Bible Study Podcast. If you have a question, comment, or idea for a future episode, connect with us on our private Facebook group called Streams of Water Bible Study Podcast, or send us an email at streamsofwater13 at gmail.com. That's streamsofwater13 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.